0: And, well, good morning, everyone. This conglomerated. We've been uh, spending the last couple of weeks, uh, as we started the new year, looking at our spiritual health, uh, kind of evaluating ourselves, giving us uh, a checkup. You know, it's usually good to do a physical every year to, to kind of check your physical health, and we've been checking our spiritual health. And uh, we opened up by looking at our heart and asked the question, uh, you know, what is our first love? How are we taking care of our heart? Uh, last year, we looked at our head. Uh, what are we doing to build our mind? How are we uh, in the Word? How are we studying? How are we learning? And today, we're going to look at another part of our bodies. So we're going to get uh, a little deeper into some of this, uh, we're going to look at our ears. So if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, we're going to start with. So let's pray real quick. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here today. Uh, Lord, come and speak to us through your word. Lord, allow us to hear you. Father, I just, I pray, open our ears this morning, allow us to hear clearly from you. Speak to us. Lord, just break off anything that may be distracting us from you, but Lord, bring transformation into our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We welcome you into this place. We welcome you into this house. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the most difficult things for us to do these days is to actually listen. Um, my wife tells me that I have an issue, and, and I'm pretty sure I do have an issue. Um, I have a very hard time discerning when people are done talking. Uh, This is going to sound silly, but I cannot catch those cues when people are at the end of a thought, and it's my turn to talk. I have a very difficult and so I think I catch the cue, and I tend to just barrel right into the conversation. I get all excited, and it's like, okay, these are my thoughts, and this is where what I'm thinking about the whole thing, and I get all excited and ready to go. And it, it irritates my wife, because I tend to bulldoze over her thoughts and the things uh, that she wants to say. And I know uh, for the last 32 years, I've tried to learn some of those cues better, but I really struggle with that. I struggle hearing it, because my mind starts engaging in the conversation, and I start thinking of all the cool things that I could possibly say, and I get all excited, and I have like ADHD of the mouth at times, and it just wants to come out, and I want to talk. But one of the things I've learned uh, as I was trained as a coach, and I've done coaching, is that, that sometimes it's more important to listen than to actually talk. Sometimes it's more important to hear what a person is saying than it is to tell them what you think. The problem is, deep down inside, we all want to tell, we all want to speak, we all want to be heard, don't we? We all find an importance in that. But many times, it's more important just to hear. Ecclesiastes 5.1 says this, Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. The writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us that it's better to listen at times than to actually do. Remember the story of Mary and Martha in the Gospels. Martha is busy. She's trying to do all these things. She's trying to get everything ready, and Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, and Martha looks at Jesus and says, can you rebuke my sister and tell her to get her butt in gear? I need help. And what does Jesus tell her? She's picked the better thing to do. She's picked the better, to listen, to listen. Notice how the writer of Ecclesiastes continues in verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart uh, to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes where there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. We we tend to want to be doers. We want to be people of action. We want to move. We want to talk. We want to be heard. But, But as we gauge our spiritual maturity, as we gauge our spiritual health, Sometimes it's more important to step back and ask, um, how are we hearing?
1: We want to gauge
0: ourselves by what we do, by what we say, by what we know. Spiritual health is usually gauged not by how well we do things, but instead of how well we listen and to whom we are actually listening to. And so, who and how should we listen? How do we engage our ears? Uh, first and foremost, if we're spiritually healthy, we should be listening to God. But how do we do that? Uh, about uh, 12, 15 years ago, I had to take this psycho- um, psychology uh, test, the psych test. And uh, it was a secular test, it wasn't a Christian test. And one of the cr- questions on the psych test was. Uh, and you're supposed to rate it on, you know, yes, no, true, false. One of the questions was, I can hear the voice of God. And I remember sitting there taking this test thinking, well, I know what my faith says, but if I put I can hear the voice of God, they're going to think I'm crazy. You know, this isn't like a spiritual giftings test. This was a psychology test to determine if I was fit for certain things hear the voice of God. And so I, I marked no, because I figured that that's what they wanted me to say. There's only crazy people hear God, right? That's what our world says. That's what our society says. Our, our society tells us that God does not speak, that, that if there is a God, he's somewhere out there in the distance, somewhere uh, far away, and that we are limited in hearing him. And and those thoughts, those beliefs that our society has have come to us in the church. We have this belief that, that, yeah, God is out there and he's probably talking to important people, to like prophetic people or church leaders or the Pope or something like that, but he really doesn't have time to talk to me. He really doesn't speak a whole lot to me. But Job, the book of Job, tells us something different. Job chapter 33, verse 14 tells us this, "'For God does speak, now one way, now another.'" Though no one perceives it, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people, they slumber in their beds. He may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, their their lives from perishing by the sword. See, God does speak to us. God regularly speaks to us. We just need to know how to hear and how to listen. Now, now there there are three ways that God usually speaks to us. First and foremost, he speaks to us in his word. I mean, we all know this. We read his word and, and, and we can hear God's voice through the Bible. In some cases, we're reading God's voice. Through the Bible, but but through Scripture, God can speak into our lives. He can transform us. He can change us. And we've talked about that the last two weeks. How important it is uh, to be in Scripture. God can speak to us through creation. Years ago, Cindy and I were trying to discern if we were supposed to come back to the not, and we did a field trip. We did a couple of these field trips up from Georgia to uh, DeKalb, to northern Illinois, and we'd been praying and we'd been thinking and we have been trying to figure out what God is trying to tell us to do. And we had some prophetic words and we had some dreams, but we were still a little uncertain. And we were coming down 23 from the north towards Sycamore and DeKalb, and it was a really overcast day, and we were praying and we are talking in the car, and then all of a sudden the clouds parted and this beam of light just came down upon DeKalb and Sycamore and the whole area. And we looked at each other and we're like, is that a sign? Is God trying to speak to us in this moment. God speaks to us in creation. He cries out, creation cries out the glory of God. But then, there's one more way, and this is probably the greatest way that God speaks to us. It's through his still, small voice. There's a trick to that. We need to learn how to listen, to hear God's voice. There's a, a story I want to read you um, from a book that I read a long time ago called How to Break Growth Barriers. Uh, it's about church growth. It's by a guy by the name of Carl George and Warren Bird. And, and there's a story in it that I found fascinating. And it goes like this. A story uh, Dr. David Yonggi Cho recounted. Dr. Cho, if you don't know Dr. Cho... Um, He pastors a a relatively large church uh, in Korea, South Korea, Uh, a church of 300,000 people. Um, Yeah, I think it's the biggest church in the world. A story Dr. Cho recounted in my hearing summarizes the essence of what prayer could be about. He said that when Yodi Full Gospel Church had reached about 300,000 active participants, a pastor from a church of 3,000 came to see him. The pastor said, Dr. Cho, I need help understanding something like yourself. I'm a Korean, and I'm a pastor of a church. But you have 300,000, and I have 3,000. So something doesn't add up for me. Then the pastor, without any hint of arrogance, began to compare his background with that, that of Dr. Cho. I have an American education. You've studied only at a Bible school here in Korea. In addition, I have examined as objectively as I can tape recordings of my sermons and of your sermons. I believe I preach a better sermon. What I don't understand is why, if I preach a better sermon and have better education, do you have 300,000 people in church and I only have 3,000? That cracks me up. To only have 3,000 people. We're almost there, guys. Dr. Cho said that he answered with a question, do you pray? Oh, yes, the minister said. How much? He answered, I pray daily, at least three, uh, 30 minutes. I've outlined my prayer so that in the course of the week, I've prayed for all my obligations here and across the world. I'm very, very conscientious about that. After pausing, the visitor pastor, visiting pastor asked Dr. Cho, how much do you pray? Dr. Cho answered, Anywhere between one and three hours per day. Then came the clincher. The difference, Dr. Cho said, between 30 minutes and one to three hours is the difference between 3,000 and 300,000. Here's the kicker. My thoughts raced to my own prayer life. One to three hours a day, I asked myself, what in the world could I say for up to three hours in one day? After 30 minutes, I'm prayed up and I'm beginning to talk in circles. How does someone pray for hours on end? Then I realized the Western assumptions through which I was hearing Dr. Cho's story. What kind of social abnormality would I need to hold a conversation in which nonstop for three hours, I did all the talking? Does Dr. Cho talk to God all that time, or does he talk with God? The fundamental redefinition of prayer is is this. Prayer is not so much an effort as a communion. If I do not give God as much time to talk to me as I spend talking to him, I am off balance. No wonder, then, that I did not receive vision and guidance from him. I find that that fascinating what could I say for three hours? I've been in, in seminars and classes with people who talk about praying for hours and hours and hours upon end, and I struggled myself with that idea because I tend to be um, very concise, very to the point. I'm like, what could I do for hours other than just repeat and babble and babble and babble? But, but the thing is, it's not about us just talking to God. It's us, at times, stopping and listening to God Maybe we need to spend more time listening than we do talking. Because hearing God's still small voice is about being quiet. There's a great story in Samuel uh, 1 about Samuel as a a youth, and he's sitting in in the tabernacle, and and he's waiting, or he's working there. His mother had dropped him off um, to become a priest. and So we grew up there. And he's sleeping, and he, and he hears a voice, Samuel. And he gets up, and he runs to his, his uh, teacher, Eli, and he says, uh, what do you want, Master? I'm here. What do you want? And Eli is like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And this happens over and over again. Finally, Eli looks at him and says, next time you hear that, just say this. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. God was trying to speak to him, but he didn't recognize God's voice. He thought it was somewhere else in the room. And you want chasing after those other things. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. That's a challenge for us. Sometimes we just need to sit still and listen. Years ago, we used to do something after worship. We used to do something called quiet time. Many of you probably remember it, where we would stop after worship, and I would get up here, and I would say something with the effect of uh, 1 Corinthians tells us that we all need to bring gifts we would just stop and wait on the Lord. We'd wait for God's presence to come and speak to us, then people would speak. We'd write that stuff down. we kind of stopped that as COVID hit because it's hard to do that when you're just streaming and you're looking at a camera waiting for God. To walk. But that brings a question. You ever just sit somewhere in silence and listen? Listen? hard, isn't it? I mean, we're surrounded by noise. We like noise. We purposely put noise around us because we don't like silence. Silence drives us crazy. But if we listen, God speaks. We are at intercession a couple weeks ago, and Cindy, uh, we were getting ready to go, and Cindy says, I think we're just supposed to, like, just sit there And so she found um, she found uh, some music that was just gentle instrumentation. No singing, no vocals, just like gentle piano in the background. And we put it on quietly in the room because, you know, we need noise. And we just sat in the room. We invited the presence of the Lord. We just sat for an hour in his presence. Uh, it's called soaking prayer. In, in many traditions, what that looks like. We just soak in God's presence. And then when we were done, we were said, did anyone hear anything? And lo and behold, most everybody in the room had something that the Lord shared with them. Some of it was personal, some of it was church-related. It's just stopping from listening. Now, as we listen for God, we also should be in a position where we're listening to others. Proverbs 19.20 says this, Listen to advice and accept discipline. At the end, you will be counted among the wise. Look, one of the marks of immaturity is the inability to look to others for wisdom. So who's speaking into your life? Who are you allowing to speak into your life? That's a challenging thing because many times we think no one can fully understand what I'm dealing with. We feel alone. But sometimes we create that atmosphere for ourselves. We prevent other people from speaking into our lives because we're positive no one can fully understand us. No one can fully understand what we're dealing with. But the truth is, there are many people who've been down the same path that we are going down, that have experienced the same things that we've experienced. Through the midst of COVID, I was uh, hired by the vineyard to coach a bunch of vineyard pastors. The, the, the contract came before COVID. We had no idea that this was going to occur over COVID. The vineyard started this wellness program for a bunch of pastors um, who were going through different situations of life. Some were church planting, some were transitioning. They were taking a church over, a well-established church over, and this was their first time. Some were... were, were um, Uh, pastors of color. Some were female pastors. They were just in these specific situations. So they put together this program to kind of work on their spiritual well-being. And they gave them a mentor. They gave them a coach. They gave them a spiritual director. And I got to coach six of of these uh, incredible pastors for two years. And so I flew down to San Antonio and I had a, you know, they all interviewed all of us coaches and six chose me. This was in February of 2020 before everything got interesting. And then as soon as we got back to town, and as soon as this was all supposed to start, COVID broke loose. And my coaching turned into something completely different than what I anticipated. But I learned something really interesting in the midst of that two-year process. See, one would think my job as a coach, and I think people get confused at what a coach does, is to give direction, is to give wisdom, is to like help people learn. But in reality, a coach does something different. It's just there to ask questions and to listen. And so I had six pastors from across the country in different situations, some in large churches, some in tiny churches. And we all slammed into COVID at the exact same time. And I know it was difficult for everyone else, but for a pastor, I mean, this is a new world. We knew nothing about streaming, I fought streaming. I hated it. We were never going to do that because it breaks community. And all of a sudden, I remember that first Sunday, we're all sitting with our iPhones trying to figure out how to connect to Facebook so that we could do this. I spent two years with these guys, and as much as I coached them, I learned from them. I allowed them to speak into my life. I was hearing their troubles and difficulties and saw how they were trying to figure out how to overcome things, I was bringing stuff back into my own ministry. I was listening to them. And I, I remember I'd, I'd finish the conversations and I'd always keep you know, the gist of the conversation. I get it. you know. The, 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 there's, that, that's, there's secrecy in there. There's confidentiality in there. I get that. But I'd come to Cindy and I'd say, you know what? They're trying this new thing. And the stuff was all public. They're rethinking this idea here. Maybe we should think about some of that. They're focusing on discipleship a little different. Maybe we should press into that. And for two years, as I was coaching them, as I was mentoring them, as I was trying to help them, they were pouring back into my life because I was listening to them. So, who's speaking into your life? Who's mentoring you? Who's coaching you? one of the best places to learn from people is usually from people who you don't necessarily agree with i know a lot of the stuff i read aren't necessarily from traditions that i'm comfortable with or necessarily agree with but i'm able to learn from them to pick things up from them see as we seek the wisdom of, as we seek the wisdom of others there's one other thing that can, that can come towards us, and we need to be prepared for it, and that's criticism. Now, this, this is the uncomfortable part. We, we tend to not like criticism, right? We want to be told that we're okay, that you're doing everything right, that you are correct. We don't like to hear it like, we're wrong. We're wrong. The world tells us not to be wrong. Always fake it until you make it. But as Christians, we're supposed to be kind of different. As Christians, it's supposed to be okay to say that I'm not okay. Because we didn't come to Jesus okay. We came to Jesus not okay. That we needed him in our lives. That we needed him. That we're dependent upon him to change us, to transform us, to get us through. That's what Christianity is all supposed to be about. Our dependence upon Christ, not our dependence upon ourselves and how much we know, but on who he is. And so the measure of health for, for a Christian, the measure of health of our spirituality in many ways, is how do we deal with criticism? Proverbs 25, verse 12 says this, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. We need to be open to corrections uh, because as we get corrected, we can become more like Jesus. We can become more mature. We become healthier. See, that's one of the struggles we have right now. We don't know how to listen and learn. We don't know how to take criticism. Instead of taking criticism, we feel the need to defend ourselves. We feel the need to be right at all costs, no matter what. I've been in so many meetings that have turned into screaming matches because what has occurred is the loudest usually is the one who's right because they can talk over everybody. And so I need to somehow be the loudest to get my point across. But Perhaps instead of being the loudest, perhaps instead of always being right, it would be simply better to learn, to be quiet, to listen. Criticism isn't easy. And there's a way to take it. Uh, You need to realize that there are two types of criticism out there. Healthy criticism and unhealthy criticism. Healthy criticism comes out of a place of love, a true desire to see someone thrive. People come into my life and speak into my life and challenge me on certain areas of my life to see me grow, to become a better pastor, a better preacher remember years ago, I was part of a, a, a group of, of pastors who were learning how to do church better, congregation better, and I had to do the scariest thing I'd ever done in my life. This is, gosh, had to be about 14, 15 years ago. They wanted me to tape record, videotape record one of my sermons. This is before all of that. And I remember we, we found a cheap, found a cheap, uh, what are those, VHF, VHS recorder, the porter thingies. We set it up in the back and we recorded one of my sermons and I had to send it into this professional who was going to go over my notes and go over my sermon and, and help me learn from it. And I was terrified. Because I don't know about you, but I like living in ignorance. I like to believe that everything I'm doing is just fine. And you guys are usually polite. But this person was being paid not to be polite. I don't know if I like that. And so I remember the day I had the the one-on-one meeting with her and she sat down. I was terrified because I didn't want to hear that I was like terrible and just need to put the church down and move on. And so I remember sitting down in the room and she looked at me and she goes, you know, you have a natural gift for this. You really do. And that's your weakness. And I go, okay, this is weird. What do you mean that's my weakness? She goes, I've looked at your notes. She could, maybe if you planned your stories out in advance, instead of tell story here, maybe your sermons would be better. That was hard to take. But it was coming out of a spirit of love to see me improve. Now, unhealthy criticism comes out of a place of malice. Malice. And the key is to figure out where criticism is coming from and to use discernment. When we talk about testing words. I had someone, uh, once upon a time in our church, come up to Cindy and give her a really, really hard word. Really hard word. I'm not going to get into details what it was, but it was really hard. And it affected her in a negative way. She was just heartbroken. but I remember her coming up to me, and then she went to a bunch of other people. She went to Jeff, I don't remember if you he were here. Or not, but She went to a bunch of people who she trusted, who she loved, who she believed would speak the truth into her, and went to them and said, this is the word that I received. Do you see this in me? Do you see this in me? Because if this is in me, I gotta deal with it, but, but I just get the sense like this isn't in me, that this is something else. And repeatedly, over and over again, they said, no, we don't see that. We don't see that. See, when criticism comes, we have to test it. And sometimes we need to go to other people and just ask that question. Do you see that in me? Is is that an issue? And we need to find people who will be brutally honest with us and say, yeah, that's an issue. Maybe you should work on that. Or say, no, don't." It's not always just to reject everything. It's to test everything see what the Lord has to say about it. I want to wrap this up with just one thing. One of the things I've noticed is that many of the wisest people I know speak very little and listen quite a bit. And I know for me, listening can be a challenge. And so I've observed some of these people over the years And and this is what I've noticed that they do. Some of the things that they do, that I do, that can help you to work on listening. So first first and foremost, we need to learn to listen to God. We can't listen well to others if we're not listening to God. There's a spiritual discipline called silence and solitude, and we do not talk about that discipline a whole lot in, in the Western church. We like talking about fasting, and we like talking about study, and all those other things. But silence and solitude is a spiritual discipline. I remember the first time Cindy and I ever did like an intense amount of silence and solitude. We were on a pastoral Sabbath retreat, and, and on the calendar for our day, the schedule for our day, there was a two-hour block after lunch called silence and solitude. And we looked at the guy who was running it like, what, what are we supposed to do during silence and solitude? And he's like, yeah, you're not getting this. It's not about what you do during silence and solitude. It's called, you know, you don't do during silence. And solitude. And so we kind of went, we were in this beautiful um, retreat center that was literally in the middle of nowhere. And so we just kind of went our separate ways. And I remember I tried to learn how to canoe in the middle of silence and solitude because I figured if I was in the middle of a river that I wouldn't hear anything. And you know what? It was right. I almost killed myself in the process, but, but it was still right. Cindy went for a walk somewhere, and, and God spoke to us in those moments. God spoke to us in those moments. So, maybe you need to add a time of silence and solitude into your life. When I say silence, I mean silence. Try to remove Distractions. I know a lot of people say I'm going to go for a walk and hear God. That is awesome. Eugene Peterson, in his book on his uh, memoirs, called the Pastor, when he talks about his quiet time that him and his wife do on on the day that they take Sabbath, they go for a hike separately into the woods, and then they come back together at the end of the day to discuss what or at lunch to discuss what the Lord said. Now they live out like in Montana, where there's woods and stuff. But they do this. And so exercise and going for a walk, those are great things to do. But the way you do silence and solitude is not to have earbuds in listening to the newest podcast. And that's what we all do, right? So can you go for a walk and just hear nature? Just hear the birds, hear the wind. Just listen for the Lord. So try it. Take some time, schedule, and I don't mean you need to spend like, you know, a week in silence and solitude, or just take half an hour, remove any distractions, and just start it by praying, you know, speak Lord, your servant is listening, and wait to see what God does, wait to see how he meets you. Now, that's listening to God. Listening to people is a little bit more challenging. So I'm going to give you like coach training in incredibly compact. When you're listening to people, a few things. One, give the person your full attention. You want to listen to someone, listen to them. Look into their eyes. That's what my dad used to tell me. Look into a person's eyes. Now, when my dad taught me that many years ago, looking into a person's eyes meant that I wasn't distracted by everything going around me today. When you're listening to a person, turn your phone off and put it away. Give them your full attention. We've gotten so good at at multitasking that we don't realize that we multitask. And here's something you might not realize. Out of all the leadership books I've read, we don't know how to multitask. We don't multitask. We think we multitask. We don't. We do a lot of single tasks really close to one another. But you can't listen to a person and read a text at the same time, you can't. I know that from my coaching, because I'll get an email and I'll pop into my email real quick to read it, because I'm on Zoom, they don't know that I'm reading an email, and then I completely missed whatever that person said for that moment. So give them your full attention. Two, ask open-ended questions of a person. We like to ask yes and no questions, we're all you know, Are you okay? That's a yes or no question. And what's the answer 99% of the time? I'm fine. When, when the shooting happened in DeKalb, I remember we were trained as pastors on how to minister, uh, we all knew how to do grief on a one-on-one basis, but how do you do grief when an entire community is, is dealing with issues? And one of the things that they taught us to say was, how do you hold it up? How are you holding up? You can't answer that with a yes. Ask open ended questions. What's the Lord speaking to you right now? How are you experiencing God's presence? What's the Lord saying to you about this certain situation? What are your plans? fight the urge to respond especially with direction fight the urge to yeah I hear your story but you know what my story is better let let me take your story and and tell you how my life is worse than yours ask another question there's a, a Um, I think it's Toyota, had a quality um, assessment thing that they developed to get to the root of an issue, to get the root of the problem, and they call it the five whys, and we're going to talk about why in a minute, but the five whys were were to be asked why of a situation five times, and when you get to the fifth answer, that's the the root of the problem. And I've learned with people, sometimes it's okay to ask the same question over and over again. Because by the time you get to the fifth, you're at the root. By the way, um, never, never ask why. Why is an accusatory question. Why are you feeling so bad? What are you feeling right now? See the difference? Never ask. Next, ask ask them to, to verify what you're hearing. This is a wonderful statement. What I think you hear you saying is, and that clarifies that your understanding. Say what they said to you back. What I think I understand you saying is, bah, bah, bah. and they'll say, Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I mean. Or, No, 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 no. This is what I. And the last one, the most important thing, I think, as far as listening goes, is simple. Be curious. I feel like I've said this in all three sermons so far, but just be curious about people's lives. We are not curious about one another. We're just looking to check boxes off and get through conversations to our next task. Be curious, because as you're curious, you learn. Curiosity opens up a pathway to learning growing. When we think we know all the answers, we close the door. But when we're curious, we learn. Look, our society right now is greatly divided. We all have opinions on everything, and we all feel the need to be right right now. You're being told that you can't be wrong, that if the other side is right, then the world is coming to Maybe we just need to take the time right now, instead of trying to always be right,